Hey guys, Murray Valeriano here. Just wanted to let you know about my new music and comedy game show for what it's worth. While busking outside of the Oriental Theater in 1981, the Violent Femmes made such an impression on the band playing the theater that night the pretenders. that the lead singer... Oh, Jesus Christ. Games like Create Your Own Band Rider. It's uh, Sammy Hagar. A hot rod toilet. <laughs> Any tequila but his. <laughs> TV theme songs. I'll be there for you. Friends. Friends, easy one. Jimmy Pardo. Suicide is painless. Ash. Good call, good call, sir. Mary Gallagher. Everybody wants to rule the world. Uh, 21 Jump Street. <laughs> so wrong. Great answer, though. The games change every week, and the contestants are today's best comedians. So be sure to check out Murray Valeriano's YouTube page, at Murray V on Twitter, Murray V Comedy on Instagram. Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm the DJ, the MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who's, well, he's done with Sergio, but unlike Jane, he can take a swing and he does hit. Here's my co-host from the left coast. Here's Wayne Fugate. Not in a few years, but hola, Ben, I mean... Hola. All right. For this episode, we have a special guest. He was a, He's a member of the band Walking Papers. Their most recent record is called The Light Below. Please welcome to the podcast, Jeff Angel. Hey, happy to be here. How are you? You know, in these uncertain times, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. As Hunter S. Thompson says, when the going gets weird, the weird go pro. So... <laughs> All right. Well, premise of our podcast, fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each episode, I ask the all-important question. I'm going to start with Wayne. What T-shirt are you wearing? Uh, a good friend of mine, a guy that uh, I used to go see Jeff's bands at the Red Roof Pub, just came back from a trip to South Dakota and brought me back a shirt from Sick Boys Motorcycles. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's cool. I like that. I'm a motorcycle aficionado myself. Excellent. How about you, Jeff? What uh, what T-shirt are you wearing? I'm wearing my Army Surplus $3 shirt that I've shrunk so much that it actually makes my chest look massive <laughs> because it's shrunk so much. But I've uh, wore this thing all over the world, and it's kind of my go. It's probably my only shirt that's not black. Okay. Which I, I do like it. So it looks like maybe we need to buy some t-shirts for you for your next birthday <laughs> well no i i love this one i have nice okay. t-shirts but you said my favorite this is my favorite <laughs> i did say favorite i didn't mm -hmm. wear your favorite shirt all right yeah so uh i am wearing one of my favorite t-shirts so i'm wearing my pearl jam jeremy t-shirt uh, this is the one that says uh, on the back um nine out of ten kids prefer crayons over guns uh, so, okay yeah ties in with the jeremy video um hopefully mm -hmm. we're not dating ourselves because of that reference but all right yeah all right well um let me just start out with with this so i i tell wayne about all the various pr announcements that i get on a on a daily basis some we talk about and some i quickly delete because 
I'm not really interested in having them on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but your your band name came up, and I was like, I swear I've heard this band before. So I send this over to Wayne, and he's like, Oh yeah, yeah, I've 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 seen this guy before. Um, so full disclosure, you're in the Seattle area. Wayne is in the Seattle area. We grew up in the Tacoma area, so we did. So we went to Washington High School. What high school did you go to? Um, when I went, I went to Lakes High School. Then I went to uh, Rogers. Then I went up here to Seattle because I figured out this thing that was. Uh, and if there's some kids watching this, I don't know if it still works. So be careful. But um, if you miss more than 15 days, you'd get expelled. So I'd miss like 13, and I just changed to a different high school. <laughs> And so they would just take my grades with me. And I, I, I got away with that for quite a while. So, um, Wayne, what, what was the, what was the band that you saw Jeff in, in Tacoma? Uh, recently I've seen him twice at jazz bones as in static land. And then, but like we were talking about earlier, me and my buddies used to go to the red roof pub on Friday nights back in the uh, nineties. And we saw Jeff in a couple of bands, sedated souls and prayer factory, I believe. Yeah. It's way back in the day. Yeah. So, so how many bands can you count or can you remember that you've been a part of over the years? Too many, but let me see here. Uh, some bands sometimes you just change the name, thinking you know you can right. un- unload some baggage, you know. But um, <laughs> I like to think the only bands that I've been are the ones that actually recorded and put something out. So I'm probably been um, my main four things, and then six. I guess we'd be six. Okay. All right. You know, and that's been my career's biggest curse. You know, I, I got this. I just imagine that, you know, somewhere someone's like, where was that guy? If I could only knew where he was today, we are here. We want to give him the key to the city, but we can't find him. You know, right. 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 Now, what, what part of Seattle are you living in now? Um, I live in West Seattle. Or oh, it's now an it's a it's an island now, the island of West Seattle, because the bridge is yeah. not functioning. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be I'll be up there in a in a couple weeks visiting my mom who lives in. Let's see if you know you even know where this is. Tenino, Washington. I know the name and I know I've been there, but I couldn't find it on a map. You you yeah don't don't. Is it Tenino or Tenino though? You it's, know it's Tenino. It's Tenino. Okay. Well, yeah, you that. say Tenino, I say Tenino. That's right. Potato, potato. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, I'm listening to your new album. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, man, this is this is some this is some good stuff, but it's also a little on the dark side. And then I I listened to an interview where you said at one point you were into the Cure or something to that effect. I'm like, okay, well that makes sense then. Yeah, I always loved. Uh, I mean, I always kind of liked my music on the darker side. When I was a kid, I think I kind of liked. Uh, my first thing was probably the Police that really got my attention but um they have some dark songs too but then uh uh my older brother brought home black sabbath and i was like and i was like that's the music for me right there i just knew that that the uh, devil's interval is the sound i'm (laughs) respond to you know black sabbath where you i don't i don't really hear black sabbath influence Maybe I'm wrong because I don't listen to Sabbath as much as Wayne does. But um, what what kind of what kind of guitar guitarist were you trying to emulate 
as you were learning how to play the guitar? Um, I think my first thing was probably, uh, you know, Randy Rhodes was a big thing, you know, when you're a kid and, and Ozzy and that. And then, um, I think somewhere, but that was like when I was really young and just starting. And then I think, you know, everyone, you know, you heard the tone of like Eddie Van Halen and like Metallica, but, and I like those bands fine, but they weren't really, uh, that isn't really what I responded to. So I guess, you know, my first thing would have probably been, you know, as a shredder, when you're imagining how good can a guy be, you know, at that time, I just thought Randy Rhodes was the best guy ever, you know, because he, he was like before he was doing things with his hands that Eddie Van Halen figured out how to make the amps do it. You know what I mean? With the way that the distortion and the gain structure on an amp was. And he was kind of, all that sustain from Randy Rhodes was actually in his hand. You know what I mean? It wasn't an overdriven amp, which I still, to this day, I'm not sure anybody is, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's guys that are good, but like you hear a, guy, a lot of guys that are really doing the acrobatics of guitars, but there's a lot of tone is involved in making them sound that way. But um, to where his was pretty raw. You know, Angus Young's another example that's like you can really hear the flesh on his fingers when he's playing that way. And uh, so I really like them and I really like Billy Gibbons a lot. Another band, like I'm not crazy about ZZ Top as a band, but his guitar playing in, in the tone of what he's doing was always big for me and David Gilmore from... Pink Floyd was another one. I thought he's really tasty, you know. I I can hear a little Gilmore. So I'm assuming you're you're playing the guitar, the guitar parts for my thought are thoughts are not my own. Yeah. That's so that's I, me up in there. And and maybe I'm I'm reading way too much into this cuz I do, I do tend to overanalyze. But it it did feel like a very Pink Floyd or Zeppelin type 70s type of of thing that you were trying to go with especially with like the longer songs um and i freaking love the guitar parts for my thoughts are not my own that was thank you very, very much cool. very cool i'm not gonna change the only way out is through i'm not gonna change Let me ask you about the album. Do you do you consider this like a concept album? I kind of f- treat all albums like they're a concept album or their piece okay. of work. You know, this one definitely we. Uh, I think this is the first record where we actually set up. We you know we specifically ignored like barn burners or fast songs. You know, we we wanted to make a record that was more of a, a cinematic cerebral kind of record kind of more like you go on a drive but not necessarily written to like pummel audiences where you know in the past we have go you know we need we need some songs that are really going to shake up a crowd and get them moving and when we wrote this record we were like well you know we were kind of like we have enough those songs for when we play shows to do that when we want but we really wanted to be kind of selfish and uh you know indulge ourselves and kind of like just you know you're trying something different you know i think that's what you're supposed to do i didn't really want to 
repeat ourselves. And that's why I definitely think it sounds like us, but it kind of goes more for our sultry side of what we do. Yeah. Yeah, I was at, I was asking that because like the ending song, so the ending song is called California One More Phone Call. Mm-hmm. I felt like that is just like the that's the perfect album closer. Like I, I talk about this all the time on on the podcast about um how I I kind of want the end song to be to to what you said, a little bit cinematic. Um feels like you're watching the end you know the the end the climax of this album and um that song totally feels like it's the final scene of a movie yeah well thank you wayne did you did you get that vibe as well i'm sure you listened to the album a couple times um yeah i did and one thing i and i and and it's from the opener you get the same kind of a uh a thing from the value of zero it really opens up the whole record and i love how everything you do has got this bluesy undertone to it. Even it's got this real dark texture, but there's this real bluesy undertone to everything. I, I that's perfect. Well, thanks a lot. I, I, uh, if what, what Ben brings a lot to what we do is like, to me, I would probably sound a lot more derivative blues guy if he didn't fight that so hard. And, and by fight that, I mean, and it's in a good way. Cause it kind of, he, he, adds a texture to it that takes it in a different direction you know left to my own devices i'd be a lot more generic (laughs) you know what i mean so uh you know he and we both have like common bands that we enjoy and stuff and he's kind of like you know he's kind of like you're only drawing from one well over there let's you know let's pull in some uh different flavors to what we're doing and spice it up and that uh brings a lot to it but the blues part is definitely i can't i don't know it's such a part of me and what uh I don't know. I mean, I've just always kind of felt that. Like I responded to, like I said, the ZZ Top or even the David Gilmore, anybody that plays guitar, you know, it's like I kind of grew up on the pentatonic scale and the minor. We couldn't afford the major chord or the we had to get by in the pentatonic scale. Those extra couple notes were a little too much for us to afford. And uh, I just kind of always felt that. And it's just kind of there, you know. And the Ben you're referring to is Ben Anderson, who provides what keyboards and, and some vocals. Yeah, as long as a little uh, spiritual counseling and a little, you know, spiritual advising, a little bit card reading, some, uh, you know, horoscopes. Now, you also added a saxophonist for this for this uh, uh, for this album. Was there um, was there kind of a something you wanted to make as a statement in adding a saxophone player? Well, we had a band called The Missionary Position with me and Ben and the saxophone player before Walking okay. Papers. Okay. And he played a lot in that, but he kind of had a got lost there for a little while. It was uh, pursuing his career and he you know, he tried to you know, live without the saxophone for a while and tried to start his career at Comcast or some shit and we talked some <laughs> we talked some sense into him and he kind of came back around. He's a really gifted player, but uh we just kind of lost touch with him for a while. And it's like, I always loved the way he played, but it kind of got to where we just saw an opening for him to come back and play. And the, you know, we just kind of realigned, we never had any uh, falling out or nothing. We just got busy with walking papers and that kind of took over. And how do you pronounce his name? Um, I pronounce it wrong, but he prefers my pronunciation better than his. Okay. So I think his it's, I think it's Lothian and I call him Lothian. And, uh, and he, I think now he even has changed the pronunciation. He thought that sounded cool. It's like Leviathan, Lothian. 
you know, really, really gifted player. Like uh, definitely a a player that he just plays straight from the gut and it's all, you know, you can hear it. If you really want to hear him wail, look up the second missionary position record. It's like really features him. Yeah. Perfect. Um, So let's go back to the, the, I brought up the, the long song concept. Because there are mm-hmm. there are there's a number of really long songs on the album, and the, I guess that's why I brought up the very Zeppelin esque or very Pink Floyd esque because they never felt any need to you know do any self editing or cutting off time off, off of a song. Yeah, when you're making a when you're making a long song. Do you have that in mind, or do you just does it just kind of happen? And you're like, oh, that was an eight minute song. Cool. Well, I think that sometimes, you know, I have a lot of songs I like and I wish they would have expanded on it more, you know, and and uh, I think that is what truly is so great about, you know, Led Zeppelin or The Doors or Jane's Addiction and those bands is they really did like expand on what they were doing. They weren't like, hey, we ran out of ideas. And, you know, it's funny as I grew up on punk, punk rock a lot, too, and spent a lot of times what we called our shitty rock and roll bands. We just said we were punk to cover up for the fact that we were actually just horrible rock bands. But um, I kind of found like punk is actually like the most, is like one of the most like elitist spectrum in a box kind of thing, which is so funny because they're so anti Led Zeppelin. But I'm not sure. I I don't like Led Zeppelin any more than I like the Dead Boys, you know. But uh, I do. I think they're different forms. But um, I kind of think one of the most punk things a person could do is just follow whatever they want to do. And if we just happen on this song to want to kind of stretch our legs, you know. And even that that song, the other shoe, is actually. A beast is the rest of what did you expect but due to vinyl you just couldn't even fit that many long songs on a record and we had another song that we left off the record because it was like eight minutes long too and we were like we were like three eight minute songs on one record might be a little bit much you know what i mean so right, right. but you play live we get jamming and we stretch these songs out and they be, they grow legs and they you know and they expand and uh we kind of just thought, why wait to play them live to let them expand? Let's let them, let them sit like that on this record, and it's kind of unique to this record. calendar yet i know people are starting to get back out there but uh you know we're talking putting on it on the calendar for october november time frame and hoping that everything kind of gets to some normalcy we got one thing at the paramount with uh candle box and that's been pushed back twice but it's still on the schedule and then we have been getting some offers for some tours but one of them seems a little early. I'm just kind of like, really? You know, are we going to be the assholes that are out there spreading the virus around longer? Or are we going to, you know, I don't, uh, as eager as we are to get out there and, 
support this record, I'm not sure. I'm not sure we can get it feel good about getting on one of those tours just yet. Yeah, and and you do you've done a lot of tour dates over in Europe as well, and considering that's not open for us yet. Yeah. Um, Thanks for reminding me. Yeah, but we, <laughs> I mean, we do have the ones in uh, the states, the tours that we've been offered are in the states. But uh, okay, our main stuff, you know, we usually do a lot more in Europe. Is usually we do better over there. We just kind of uh, we've played a lot more over there. Is it because the Europeans? I had this conversation with a friend um, that they seem to embrace the rock bands more than us in the U.S. are. Like, and because his 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 thesis statement was rock is dead, and I'm like, no, it's not. You're just not you're just not finding it. You're not yeah. looking for it. Yeah, uh, I like to think that we got three fellows right here saying that standing up, stand tall, saying rock and roll is well and alive, right? Uh, uh, yeah, that's my totally. that's my spirituality there. So he can, as they as they say in France, he can suck it. But uh, <laughs> no, I think it's because they uh, geographically. I mean, it's America's so vast. You know, and if you think about the United States, it's like you got one media system or something that's kind of, you know, I mean, you got your uh, subculture, underground people like you that that can influence some people, but like your main, you know, all associated press or whatever that controls the country is like, you know, running the whole place where you get over in France or England and, and uh, Germany and stuff. It's a smaller geographical location, but each of those places has their own media system that's set up so you might break in this country or not in those but it's not like if you go to california versus seattle you don't have or i mean california versus washington it's really still rolling stone spin you know and right. and the internet of course for a while was kind of opening that up and making it cool but now it's the internet's so over saturated it's just harder here and then the geographically you know in the uk alone which i don't want to sound like an idiot here but i think that's smaller than texas there's a lot of markets oh, yeah. with millions of people you know like i think some of their smaller cities might have twice as many people as seattle and they're all just a couple hours drive from each other so you can really get some buzz going without uh it's, it's not as expensive to do it you know yeah it's, i don't i don't know what the the right answer is for trying to get rock back out there in the state uh, it ebbs and flows you know i think the answer is have is uh stop to you know let let artists be back to being artists rather than you know people are i don't know man i want to i want to give i don't want to get too you know the con you're never going to have a rock band in a private jet again and you know, no. and you know, the reason is is it has a lot to do with economics more than music because the music's there's a lot of great bands out there like you said if you dig it, dig for it. But if if the way the system's set up to where if you have the you know Spotify and things like that that are playing music and the artists aren't making money and the record labels aren't making money, a record label's not going to invest money into promoting a band if it's never going to get a return on their investment. And why would they? It'd be a stupid investment. But since so bands are going to have to try to build themselves up from the ground up. Now they do have the internet, but like we already said, that's already so saturated. So how do they find the people? It's not that the bands aren't out there and they aren't great. It's just they're not exposed. You know, it's just exposed in a different way. And maybe that's the natural evolution and maybe it's better. Maybe 
we could, don't need to have just 10 bands that rule the world. Maybe we need a thousand bands that rule their neighborhood or rule their little sense of the world. And maybe that's a better place for rock and roll, you know? Maybe. Yeah. I don't yeah. have the I don't have the I don't have the right answers. Well, I could tell you there's more insects on the planets than there is elephants. Think about that first. So, is rock and roll dead or is it actually just a, still alive and well but in a not it's not as obvious where where it's at, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, anything else on the uh, new album we want to talk about, Wayne? I know, I think we covered it. All right. And a few other things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's let's dive into this. So, uh, Jeff, tell us what record you chose to revisit for this episode. Well, I chose a number, Ben, but you threw back Jane's Addiction, "Nothing Shocking to Me," which is a huge, influential record for me. I did. Now I can't remember. Did 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 you give me a list and then I poo pooed a few of them? I don't know that what you poo pooed them. I just thought you chose this one because it's so great. <laughs> I did. We we did. We haven't done a Jane's Addiction episode yet, so um, uh, we were on board with this. What were what were some other ones that you thought about? Well, you guys had mentioned Exile on Main Street, which I'd be perfectly happy if I woke up and listened to that record every morning. But uh, that's another one that I that I liked, and I I think I give you a couple of modern records like the the Kills, Blood Pressures. I really like that. Okay. I might have gave you Nick Cave, Let Love In, or Bob Dylan, Time Out of Mind, or something. Those are a few of my top five very good very good all right well um when did you discover jane's addiction was it was it before this album came out or was oh no i listened to it when i was like probably 15 years old or something when i first heard it and i just thought uh it just what it did is like we talked earlier i don't know if that was on the thing but about the cure and the cult and kind of like alt rock it took that and put it together with heavy metal and hard rock it like married it you know and it was such an exciting time versus you know and there's funk in there so they t- you know like that whole Lollapalooza area have an era of having a collection of bands it's like they were funky they could play with the Red Hot Chili Peppers but they were kind of metal so they could play with Alice of Chains but they're kind of goth so they could play with Susie and the Banshees you know and they they really could go in any one of those directions but they have those epic things like led zeppelin has to them and stuff and it's so poetic like the doors it really is a la band that just has this conglomerate conglomeration of all that that i think is amazing for sure i i poked the bears a little bit on the socials wayne a couple days ago so i i (laughs) I mentioned that i was listening to this album doing research for for this episode and I said, I don't think that grunge would have happened without this this album. Yeah, that's a bold statement, but I don't know that it's not true. Cause, it is uh, true. I, rem- I remember listening to this, and I, I wrote it in my notes on the second song, and hearing Ocean Size and thinking, this is the future. Like, this is, I mean, they're from L.A. All those Sunset Strip bands have been kind of king of the, you know, cock of the walk for a few years, and... You can hear that they, you know, they're all around the same age. They have some of those same influences, but this is so different. Mm-hmm. It's so, I, like, I knew right away when I heard this that things were going to change. So, so part of the reasoning why I said that was I think that that the record labels were looking to try and find another Jane's Addiction, and they just stumbled on, hey, you know what? 
there's there's this really cool scene going on in Seattle. Soundgarden kind of sounds like Jane's Addiction. Alice in Chains kind of sounds like Jane's Addiction. Oh, you You've know, got Mother, I mean, Love Mother, Bone. Love Bone. Yeah. Mother, Mother Love Bone. Yeah. Mother Love Bone absolutely yeah. is that is that bridge between hair metal and and the you know the rock bands in Seattle. They so Jane's Addiction you can hear it in parts other than the fact that Dave Navarro doesn't like to finger tap which I think is absolutely cool because everybody else was, and he, he didn't. Well, you know, the funny thing is, the story is, actually, I guess grunge actually was before Jane's Addiction, but then at Green River actually saw, the story is that they broke up because they saw Jane's Addiction, and Jeff and Stone were like, that's the future, and Mark Arm was like, it's not punk enough. And then if you look at those early Mother Love Bone records, they even look like them. They bought the same hats, the same sunglasses. They started dressing like them. And, of course, their cha- their sound kind of got a little more epic and a little more psychedelic and a little more groovy where punk is not so groovy. You know what I mean? Where Jane's Addiction definitely had a groove and a backbeat pocket to it. So, I mean, I think that's pretty... Uh, but I do think that what you're saying is true, Ben, too, is that it's like that... Uh, they kind of paved the way for those bands. They like ex- they kicked the door open with the labels and also, you know, by like exposing people to these, uh, you know, to a brighter horizon that everything didn't have to be, you know, hair metal or or uh, punk or metal or whatever. You know, I think they were kind of like, why can't you be what whatever the freakier the better? Is what I think what Jane's Addiction did. You know, right, right, and and I think that Jane's also kept a lot of the garage band elements to it like i i read i read this uh this article off of billboard where they interviewed the guys from the band for i don't know this was like 2018 and they interviewed him for the 30th anniversary or whatever Mm -hmm. and navarro navarro said there was no typical songwriting approach which is which is i think why we were able to have such an eclectic catalog of music. Song ideas would come from all of us in different ways, and we became very aware of mistakes and very aware of listening for things that didn't sound right. Eric would sometimes have a bass line, and we'd write, write off that. Perry would sometimes have a weird guitar part, and we'd write off that. Sometimes Perry would just have lyrics, and we'd have to come up with something based on that. There were times when Steven was setting up his drums and, and would be playing something, and we'd go, wow, what's that? And he's like, I don't know. And they're like, keep playing it. And there were times when I was tuning and just kind of was playing random chords, and somebody in the room would say, what are those chords? And I would say, I don't really know. And I'd have to spend a half hour trying to remember what they were. And that's how we wrote songs. Awesome. So, I, again, that's that's total garage band not yeah. coming to the studio, you know, super prepared of what you're going to bring. It's just let's freeform it and see what happens. And uh, I, it it worked. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that they, uh, you know, somewhere along the line, drugs got in the way, and you know, they lost that magic of what they were doing. And you know, I think they really kind of got sucked up into that thing. I actually did some uh, sessions with this guy Ronnie Champagne that uh actually was the engineer on there and he, he also played bass on uh been caught stealing and one of the other songs and he uh he said that they pretty much had that whole ritual record even written before nothing shocking I read so, that, yeah. yeah so like once they got 
you know, had a hit, they pretty much, their productivity just stopped, you know, which I think was kind of true with uh, maybe Guns N' Roses too. I think they kind of had most of those easier illusion records before Appetite. You know, they had all that Don't Cry and November Rain and a lot of those songs uh, before. So I think some of those bands that just, you know, success was their worst enemy, you know? Right. So, so how about your writing process? Are, are you coming prepared to the studio with a bunch of stuff, or are you kind of doing free form like they were doing? Um, it's changed through the years depending on who I'm playing with, you know. So, but I'm kind of like an anything goes kind of guy. But uh, I work at it, you know. I put a lot of time into it, and um, but I, you know, sometimes if I'm writing with someone, I'll hear someone jam and similar to like what Dave was saying in that article. But then other times, I really sit down and put in the work. Sometimes I'll you know even screw around with the computer or i'll play the guitar or jump to piano but uh it used to be very much you show you can wear a band, burn a band out if you show up and you don't have something you know so, sure. so if you show up with something and then you drift off into other ideas that's cool but you kind of have to have something that you're holding and that's what we kind of call it who's holding you know because if you have a couple things in your pocket you can know that at least there's going to be something productivity some productivity happening because it creates energy so even like right now we're doing some writing and i don't even know if i like the songs that i'm doing but i'm like learn these songs just to let's get the blood moving again you know what i mean because we've been out not playing with each other because the covid and stuff like that and we're kind of like you know just you get that blood moving and you get in the rhythm of it and things just kind of pop up but i think a lot of people I think a genius way to look at it is like not judge it until it's finished. You can't judge something while you're working on it. You know what I mean? Just enjoy working on it, whether you think it sucks or it's good or not. Just don't think about it. Let it happen. And then later on, after you've put the work in, then look at it and go, was it good or not? You know? Yeah. Yeah. One other thing from the socials. So I had a, I had a couple diehard Jane's Addiction fans basically tell me that nothing shocking's not even their best album oh my god which i know which i'm like um okay what's their best what's their best album then you know a few of them said that the the self-titled debut album is the best and i'm like well is it is it really a debut album this is where i struggled where because i was usually when i'm introducing uh an album i go well this is the third studio album by blah 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 and it's like do we call that live album that they released the year before in 87, do we call that the debut album? Because it's really just a recording of a show that they did. Well, it's not really li- It's not really live either. Well, I know. They, they, they staged it. Yeah. I mean, I think that that kicks the door open, but it's not. It, does, it misses a lot of what's great about that. Uh, some of the layers in Perry Farrell's his harmonies and stuff and what he's doing with the effects and what they're doing with the guitar tones is what makes the record great. You know, it's not just the band. The production of the record was really uh, thoughtful and uh, expansive. You know, Summertime Rolls, you know, so the live record is great and it shows that they're, you know, a strong band. But I think that the uh, Nothing Shocking show, you know, expanded on that and gave you the, you know, put a microscope on it and made it really technicolor, you know. Ritual, I think Ritual is just as good as Nothing Shocking. But Nothing Shocking was... When you heard Ritual, you were expecting something great came in. When Nothing Shocking came, it, it arrived out of nowhere and changed yeah, things, yeah. you know? Yeah, for sure. All right, we haven't talked about personnel. Well, we've kind of talked about personnel. So Dave Navarro is on guitar. You've got Perry Farrell, which that's not even his real name. 
Do you guys know what his real name was? It's something Bernstein. Yeah, yeah Peretz Bernstein. No, it's a, it's name. It's actually like it's similar like Prince is Prince Roger Nelson oh, or something. Okay. But P- Perry Burns. Let's look it up. We got if only we had a computer in our pocket. <laughs> but it's it's not. It's like Simon Bernstein or yeah, something. You guys realize that Perry Farrell is a play on words, so he was, he yeah. was trying to peripheral. be peripheral. Um, anyways, I thought I thought that was interesting. I didn't. Hey, look, it's right in the Google search. People are. He's right. It's Perrette's Bernstein. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Because everyone has a computer in their pocket, I don't just talk out my ass. I could get fact-checked. <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> I talk out my ass and they go, oh, I'm dumb. All right, uh, Eric Avery on bass, which um, I think there's there's a few songs that we're going to talk about where Eric is the MVP for those. And then Stephen Perkins on drums, who is no slouch either. On a couple of tracks. I mean, this, this band was just loaded with talent i mean all of these guys have gone on to just they're they're legends so yeah totally yeah i think uh once they lost the bass player that's the band kind of wasn't the same you know i mean he was a key element to what they were doing and i mean i think they've still put out some good stuff but it's it was never as as epic yeah. you know all right you guys ready to dive into the track by track yeah. All right. So as a reminder, our scoring is based on number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this record? Eleven. You know, your track list is different. It it is. Yeah, I mean, but I don't think I think it's like you got some kind of like I don't know if you get the internet version or a CD or they're all different. Yeah, I'm using Spotify's version. So whatever yeah. whatever version that might be, that's that's the one we're gonna go with. Okay. All right. Uh, which means the top song is going to get 11 points. Next favorite, 10 points on down to our lowest score of one. And I probably should have said, yeah, even though this album has 11 tracks, I should really say it's really only got like nine songs and two interludes. But I think um, I, I see everyone scores in advance. So I think Jeff is going to refute me on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that Up the Beach is probably the best intro to a record except for david bowie's diamond dogs maybe all right you know right. it's a it's a it's a damn fine intro that just sets the tone for what you're about to witness all right well uh let's kick this off so this is up the beach you've already alluded this is a great way to introduce an album so what what is it about this because look Wayne and I are, are lyric dudes and there's 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 really no lyrics to this except here we go now home yeah but have, have you guys ever done LSD in your youth no <laughs> did not no. couldn't afford LSD well this song you're up in Tacoma well, this song right here, it sounds about as close as LSD makes music sound right off right. the get, you know. And, and I think that that's what I was like. I was like, holy goodness, that's 
how did they make that happen? Am I am I flashing back here? You know, I mean, it really has that ethereal kind of, you know, vibe. It's like vibe for days and power too. You know, it's intense, but it's also really psychedelic and. So you drifting. really dig this as an album opener, and I, I, I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking, just start with Oceanside and punch me in the face. Uh, and I and I I gave it a low score, but not, but I definitely agree with Jeff because this. To me, this was a connection You're just pandering. to pandering. Pandering no, no. to the gas. This is a connection to the past <laughs> because remember the Who and Black Sabbath and Led yeah. Zeppelin would all have these big, eerie instrumental intros to the song. I don't. I think this should connect better to Ocean Size. I think if it did that, because um, I think at three minutes it starts to get long, and then it doesn't. I, I wish it would have seamlessly kind of worked itself right into ocean size but i like the way they start because it it like we've talked this is something different and you get that in this in this that this isn't going to be the same like things are going to change in the very near future uh so i like i like it for that but i just wish it would have it would have flowed into ocean size better okay all right should we get scores and let's uh let's uh divide us right off the bat here (laughs) So Jeff, sure. Jeff, your score? Eleven. Throwing the gauntlet down. Top song for 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 Jeff. All right. This is my two. Wayne. Also a two. And and I and I have a different opinion of it. You you like it, and I'm like, just don't bore us, get to the chorus and the I didn't think and it's not size. boring though. <laughs> so that's funny. That, yeah, that's funny. It's because I'm a like, don't bore us with the chorus. Give me the vibe. That's it. That's it. All right. If I liked choruses, I'd probably have a bit way better, bigger career. I don't really give a shit about the chorus. I, I like the vibe. All right. Uh, next is Ocean Size. I had to look this up uh, a couple different times because I was like, "Is it Ocean Side or is it Ocean Size?" And it's Ocean Size. Size, size matters. That that's that that's it. All right. So Wayne, I'm I'm just throwing it over to you because you're you're my lyric analysis guy. So what what is this what is this telling us? Well, the ocean, like, and I've mentioned this before, three quarters of the world is covered in water. So the ocean is literally the most powerful force on the planet. Like if, if, if the wind blows, it may knock some stuff over. If the ocean comes crashing in, it destroys everything. Like you, this person wants to have, he's, he feels powerless in some ways and he wants to be the size of the ocean. But not only that, it's just so raw. It has this raw yeah. energy to it. This, I mean, I remember the first time I heard this song thinking, like I'd said earlier, that this is the future. Things are things are going to be different after this. I lo- Well said, Wayne. I like that. And I agree. All right. Um, anything, Jeff, on, on this, either lyrically or musically? that It's, it's so cool that it's just... 
it's just E, G, and A. It's like the simplest progression ever. But the way that they're playing, it's just like, it's one of those things that I'm all of a sudden, anyone could have thought of that. And any guy that's played guitar for a week could play it. But it's still, it's just so heavy and epic. You know what I mean? And they just pound that thing. They don't even, like this is another one. Where's the chorus? It doesn't even have a chorus. It just goes straight to the guitar solo. It's like, okay, here, here's a verse. Here's a guitar solo. Here's another verse. One little breakdown back to a guitar solo. There's, there is no chorus unless it's a, it ain't easy living, I think is the lyric. That's the only, there is no chorus. It's just all monstrous, nope. huge, powerful vibe. Talking yeah. all action. You know? Right. Amen. Yeah, I'm now looking at all of the other songs coming up as well, and I'm like, here, here are the choruses. Um, sex is violence. That's probably a chorus because it's refrained. Mm-hmm. Standing in the shower, thinking, would that be considered yeah. a chorus? I mean, the whole thing's just kind of. A- like that's similar to like a Bob Dylan's writing style where the whole thing is kind of the hook, you know? Um, and that, that's some of Perry's genius. And it's even on, like Jane says, it's like that melody just goes all over. It never repeats. It just keeps climbing and moving around. I think, I think if you, I bet he probably tells you different, but I think he's probably a person that's not very musically inclined. And that's what makes him amazing. It's because he's not following the standard structures of songwriting. He's just following his own muse, and that's what makes him so special. Yeah. You know. Yeah, for sure. Since then, he's probably learned how to be a good musician, and that's and that's why the songs right. suffer. But I'm also thinking they probably listen to a lot of Led Zeppelin, which also they don't have a whole it's lot true. of choruses either. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, let's get scores. Jeff, what do you got for a score? Nine. Wayne. Also a nine, and I just want to say Dave Navarro is a very underrated guitar player, and I my theory is it's because he's so fucking beautiful. And the guy never wore a shirt. Until Ink Masters, I didn't even think he owned a shirt. Like, he had to have somebody else go in the 7-Eleven and buy his cigarettes. That's funny, as we did a tour with them through the States for a month, and I, I, I'm i pretty sure he has a, either that or his shirt is like Wonder Woman's jet. It's just invisible, and he's always wearing a shirt. And I got to say, every night, that guy killed it. It was unbelievable. Super funny guy, too. Really nice and friendly fellow. And uh, what a shredder. Yeah. yeah. All right, this is my seven. All right, next song is Had a Dad. I listened to an interview where Perry talked about his parents. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about this on another uh, another song coming up. But his mom committed suicide when he was three years old. I couldn't find much info on the dad other than he was a jeweler. And his infidelities were what drove his mom to take her life. So, hmm. So this doesn't seem like a very happy song considering that he's talking about that I had a dad... But I don't think the song's about his dad. I think it's about God. 
You think so? Okay. Yeah. Had a dad big and strong, turned around, found my daddy gone. I think it's all about having believing in God and then getting to a certain point to where like God don't have your back and then and it's even says God is dead in the song I think which you know when you're 15 if you grew up with a bunch of religious guilt you you know it got you asking a lot of questions and stuff like that I thought it was pretty genius if you look at the song under that contents and not about a family contents it'll change your perspective of the song yeah, I think especially the the brother's part at Towards the end, telling my brothers all gone mad, they're beating on each other. That yeah, that that blows my mind. Uh, I looked at okay. it totally from a from a personal perspective, and yeah, me too. Um, I gave it a real boy a boy named Sue kind of thing. Like he gives him basically credit for who he is by not being around. Like I, the man, I, you made me who I am. But that was like by not being around and making me do some things on my own. But when uh, uh, Jeff yeah, just, that's Jeff turned it upside down. Now, if you, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what he's saying. I mean, at least it's a metaphor, and maybe there's a little of that in there too. But like when he's saying, you know, you made it, made me who I am today. It's like, you know, I think we all grow up with this kind of thing. I mean, I don't know how you guys feel spiritually or whatever, but me personally, I feel like there's something out there. But any guy that tells me they know what happens after we die, in my opinion, doesn't have the experience to, uh, for me to believe him. You know, so I think there's something out there. I feel it in my body in my heart but i think that a lot of the you know people are like you you know that's what gives people these certain morals or something and it gives it, it gives them something to surrender to which i think it's a beautiful thing and it provides that but i think at a certain point some people are going you know the questions just drive them mad and they're like i just can't believe that some guy lived in a whale for three days and survived the other side so therefore i'm not going to believe it anymore and when they do who are you maybe you know, that hit made him who he is today because that following that is what gave him, taught him to have maybe morals and opinions and this and that. And at a certain point, you know, a lot of people are like, a lot of people out there feeling like Job, you know, like life is just a nut bunch of suffering. And why would a God do that, you know, or whatever. And I think, I think that he wrapped that up beautifully in the song. So simplicity in the song, if someone's looking for that, but then also if someone else is looking at in a, in a, uh, family way you know that's a different way to look at it it's awesome that's what's so awesome about yeah, it yeah. there's the double meaning it's great i love it i i never looked at that angle all right let's get scores this is my five wayne your score i gave it a six and if i if i had just talked to jeff earlier i this would be much higher like say i think the last <laughs> verse really ties into what jeff said that whole you know tell my telling my brothers have gone mad they're beating on each other it absolutely makes sense uh looking at it like that and the one thing i noticed is dave navarro he does he his his solos piggyback off the melody like they don't he doesn't do a bunch of finger tapping and all that high single note stuff way up on the uh, on the fretboard he 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 really has a nice way of of sticking it's just basically the main riff and the melody of the of the song just kind of just expounded on. Yeah. Yeah. Genius. I gave it a six, too. Even though I think it's a great song, it's just there's so much great stuff on this record. It's kind of... We get it. We get it. All right. Next song. Ted, just admit it. There's going to be people trying to be
Oh, uh, yes. And who doesn't love a song about Ted Bundy? Um, <laughs> and uh, since we're all Tacoma boys, doesn't it make us so proud knowing that Ted Bundy also is from Tacoma, Washington? Um, Wayne, did I tell you that Richard's mom graduated high school with old Ted Bundy? She's lucky to be alive. Yes, absolutely. D- did this score very high for us? No. It's and it's not for it's not for anything. It's just for the so many good songs on this cuz I say when I this is the one I associate with that that classic album cover. I remember walking into Tower Records and seeing a giant one of those you know on the wall and just like I say just being blown away that anybody would create that and get it on the, and make that their album cover and then this has a very art rock feel to it, though. There's those, you know, those uh, soundbite excerpts in there, the conversation, right. and then mm-hmm. uh, it just has a real art rock feel in it. And it, it's just at some point you realize that he should wrap it up, and he, and he, he does. Now you know, you know the one soundbite of there's going to be people turning up in the canyons. So this song was also on Natural Born Killers, the soundtrack, and mm-hmm. and they replaced that sound clip with um screaming jay hawkins hmm. so i guess they didn't want to be associated with um with ted, ted, ted which this is kind of funny um today i listened to i did not know that today i listened to the spaghetti incident from guns and roses for the first time in like 20 years and they got a ration of crap because they Charles Manson they song. The Charles Manson song. So, and that was, I, I mean, yeah. but I like say my understanding is that's totally Axl Rose, like just like uh, the song "My World" on "Use Your Illusion" too. Like no one knew that was going to happen, and then the record comes out, and they find out that he that he did that. But that otherwise, like, well, he's just kicking the hornet's nest. They had that one in a million song too, and I couldn't believe that. And you know, they've erased that all of the song off all the songs now. Wow. You know, oh. the one in a million with. Dropping the a, a couple words that people don't say anymore, yeah. you know, yeah. in that song. Yeah. Um, but you know, Ted, just admit it. Has there ever been a more musical drum part right out of the gates? So good. I mean, except for maybe uh, on the train to Bangkok or something <laughs> by Rush or something. But but it's like those drums on there and that bass line. Who plays bass like that and who plays drums like that? That drum has a total melody to it, right out of the gates. So it's like you know. He turned, you know, he made the drums not just a rhythmic instrument, but it's really musical. There's a lot of melody to what he's playing there. And then that bass line is that it's like just breaking the rules of like what bass is supposed to do. So both those guys are just saying, hey, we don't, it's already a song before Dave or Perry get on there. And then when the guitar comes in, it's so atmospheric and psychedelic and, you know, so juicy and colorful. And it, uh, you know, at this time, what did we have? We had, you know, hair metal ballads on the radio. And then it's like, this is like a whole nother experience. You know, I mean, it sounds like it's like so soundtracky and psychedelic and uh, in a way that I just don't think anybody's done it that as well as they did right there ever. Not even Hendrix. He's done it in his way, but it's way out there, you know. Yeah, and you're not hearing Motley Crue or Poison yelling, sex is violent. Well, yeah, they probably said... They probably meant that in a good way. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. They were, yeah. They were. It was a little bit, you know, is a different thing there. I think. And you, you do. What a cool and song! And you do know that that line gets used by Bush 
Yeah. And uh, everything's in. Anheuser Busch. No. <laughs> oh. Everything's in. So they use they use that no. they use that line of sex is violent because. Um, so I found this this quote from Gavin Rosdell. He said, "One band that really inspired me at the time and always forever was Jane's Addiction. I had seen a show of theirs, and they had that line, "Sex is violent." I thought about that line, and it's always stuck to me as a powerful lyric. And so he's like, so he just took it he and put it in his it. song, and then and smart, yeah, cool. He had a yeah. hit with hey. it. So there you go. Uh, yeah. Well, of course he did. <laughs> All That's right. killing rock and roll right there. That's it. All right. This is my four, Wayne. Also a four, but it's, like I say, it's a great song, but you know, on an album full of great songs. Yeah. Eight. I gave that an eight. Gave that an eight. All right. I love, I love how long it went, and it builds up to that big thundering, freaking heavy guitar part, and then it, just, then it breaks open again, and it comes back. It's so amazing. That's great. But all right. All right. All right, next song is Standing in the Shower, Thinking. So here's where I got fixated, and this is where you can tell I'm a 13 year old boy at heart. Is he pi- <laughs> is he pissing on himself because he's hungover yes. or something? Uh, don't we all just get, sometimes once yeah. that water hits you, you're like, gotta go. All right, you have to right. pee, and you're in the shower, and you're like, whoop! I'll just clean myself. I know, up but afterwards. but you're a dude, like you can aim, you know. Oh, but he's, yep. he's thinking though. That's the thing is he's oh, so okay. like he's he's so deep in he's thought. So, that... He's much more deep in thought than I am in the shower. Like, uh, but I love that <laughs> each verse is so different. Uh, but they're all a, he's entranced with this. He's got these different ideas going through his head in the shower. And the first one is because uh, another record, two records that I always associate with this, and they came out of roughly the same time. And I had a friend that worked at Tower Records, and he got me a really good deal on live uh vivid by living color james you mean he got he he gave it to you for free once again (laughs) i don't know how they were procured that's not my business and nwa straight out of compton uh and this has that first verse has a very cult of personality like political uh you know leaders and outlaws are not all that different it's it's basically just the people that they're looking to attract are are different and the second verse or felt more like about other bands because there's there's lines in there about uh, we we don't you don't like the place I'm headed same place he's headed uh, I know he'd beat me to it if, if only he could so there's a lot you know that's much more of a his contemporaries and then the third verse is about his girlfriend and the whole reason that he acts he she's weirded out by some of the things he does but the only reason he does them in front of her is because he absolutely trusts her so. I just this guy's shower is amazing. Like I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not concentrating enough. I'm not doing enough work in the shower. <laughs> yeah, like 
Wayne goes deep. I like it. Yeah, and see, I'm fixated on, let's see, have I ever peed in the shower? That's where I got, you know, so, anyways. Don't you, don't try to act like you haven't, Ben. Come on. Oh, you know what? Honestly, <laughs> honestly, honestly, I had never even thought about even doing it until Madonna brought it up on Letterman back in the early 90s. And I'm like, mm-hmm. people do that? Like, there's a toilet right next to your bathtub. You'd have to anyways. get out of the shower. You're soaking wet. You get water yeah. everywhere. So the drain so goes to the same place. I know, but it's yeah. but it's so piping hot. All right, um, yeah. all right. Scores. Let's let's get scores. Uh, Jeff, what do you got? Two. Wow. Okay. Which, which is something you can't do in the show. Well, we for that too. I can't remember. I saw it on Urban Dictionary. I can't. We've talked about that. Waffle stomper. Waffle stomping. That's the. It's yeah. I knew I'd heard that somewhere. Uh, We we talked about that on our Fast Times at Ridgemont High episode. If you remember that. All right. uh, This is my nine. Wayne, what do you got? Uh, seven. All right. You guys, Ben loved it. I love this song. Yeah, I love this song. This was my introduction to the group. So maybe mm-hmm. maybe I have a little bit of sentimental reasons, but uh, I heard this before I heard Jane Jane says, and so this was this was my this was my introduction to the band. All right, next next up is Summertime Rolls. Uh, this a uh, huge one. I love this song. I just think it's one of the best songs, and lyrically, I think it's amazing. I uh, played it for my kids when they were really little, and they lo- this was like one of their nursery rhymes when they were kids. Like it's just the whole imagery of this little guy that's like living in the blades of the grass at the park, you know, and the cats and all these things are playing over, and and it's another one of those things where it just sounds really, it sounds like a sunrise or a sunset or. You know, it's it's just really perfect in that way. In a, in a, I think it captures it in a way that no other song does. And I think that those lyrics are just so special. You know, that whole thing about the guy living down there and he's, you know, their kids are playing tag, but they're all bigger on the top of them. It's like such a like Alice in Wonderland kind of experience. I just think it's so beautifully done. All right. I want to hear Wayne's lyrical analysis on this as well then. Oh, I think the roll is uh, possibly a marijuana cigarette is all I can think of because that, that was – it's totally high in the park. Uh, then you Wow, sh- I never thought of that, and I love that. You well, very, that's very Alice in Wonderlands and Mushrooms too, though, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. That, it, uh, the whole vibe of it is real – is just – it gave me a real just smoke a big fatty and fuck lay down in the grass. <laughs> And just start imagining stuff. Just uh, when you're not in the shower, smoke. I was going to say, you should, isn't that what you do in he's the shower? Th- he's, he's thinking he's, everywhere. He's, he's really thinking everywhere. everywhere. He's never. He never stops. I think that's the genius of Perry Farrell. He never there stops writing songs. All right, uh, Jeff. What was your score on this one? Um, I gave that a ten. 
That's my second favorite thing on the thing. All right. Wayne? I gave it a three, and it has a very Beatles feel to it. I kept waiting for somebody to start to play a sitar. Okay. Yeah. All right. This is my six. Oh, but the best thing about that song, one of my favorite lyrics ever, if you want a friend, feed any animal. I just think that that's... You, you just don't get lyrics like that. Songs are so cars and girls and government and all this. And it's like he, you know, with the ocean and the, you know, feeding animals and stuff like it's like he's like he I, and the thing that he's saying in the had a dad about God. It's like there for a minute there. He really had some guru qualities going on that I think was making the world a better place. You know, yeah. so you got the sex is vi- and even the sex is violence is a criticism on it. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. I think that there's a lot of hope. I think there's a lot of hope in his lyrics of like in self empowerment. I think it's really cool. Very good. You know? Yep. Love it. All right. Next song is Mountain Song. All right, so Perry admitted that this song is about drugs. The mountain is the drugs, and you're coming down the mountain. Miss um, Smith, that's a reference to his mom. Hmm. I didn't know this. I'm so glad we're having this talk. Yeah, heard that in an interview. So, um, And this is, a, this is another one of the songs that I felt got some play. Did they make a video for this one? They did. They did. Okay. That was the first video. This was the first video. Okay. Um, what what do you got on this one, Jeff? Um, my number seven. I think it's a pretty powerful, simple riff, and I like how it goes from you know them and Guns N' Roses kind of had that similar thing where they go from this really rocking thing to this little clean, pretty part and back. You know, and like earlier Wayne was talking about NWA, and I just think Guns N' Roses and NWA and Jane's Addiction, that all came out in 87, which another big record at that time was Joshua Tree, which I also think is a pretty amazing album. But like, oh, uh, I think there was this, you know, from uh, hair rock and hair MTV rock into college rock, it was having this kind of merge that I just think, you know, when people talk about the 80s as being kind of cheap, I actually think a few of these records might be the best. That 1987 was one hell of a year for music, you know? I, I'm on record of saying 87 is the best year of music ever. Really? Yeah. I think it's right up there. Yeah. I'm, I'm, and uh, so that Mountain Song, I think it's just, you know, the, it is kind of the dumbed-down version of what Jane's Addiction is. I think, you know, where that shows, you know, we can rock if we need to. The song's pummeling, and so many bands have ripped off that riff and drum beat, you know, since then to really kind of... You know, it's a good song. Yeah, Wayne. Anything lyrically? Uh, well, there's a like I said, the that second verse with the because uh, the first verse is much more general. Like it's talking about kind of more of a, a bigger society. Kind of has their own opinions. Everybody has their own opinions. And then the second one where it gets a little more personal, uh, which does feel like because it even mentions pin eyes. So they're definitely coming off something. But to me. This would have been the way to go for the first single and get yourself on KISW on hard rock radio because I think they got painted 
into, I, I think Jane Says came out first and people thought they were, well, I, there wasn't even alternative rock at the time. So it was like, I don't know who not. these guys are. And this, <laughs> from if I'm an A&R guy, I tell them to put this out first and get, because all those guys with their big hair and their tight uh, fa- uh, acid wash jeans can't eat, can't do this, can't rock this hard. And just, I think, opens them up to a whole new audience. Yeah. And how about the anti-guitar solo solo? Yeah. You know what I mean? The guitar solo is like the anti-guitar solo. It's amazing. And even though just the main riff of this song that just keep, that goes circling around and around is just so so killer. It's, just, uh, it's a total total smoke on the water. Some guy gets his guitar and they learn this riff and then, you know what I mean? And you're, you you can get together with your bros and start doing something. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, did I get scores on this one? 7. Wayne, what's your what's your score? 10. Mount- Yep, I'm matching your ten on Mountain Song. All right. Well, you guys, you guys, you guys should be A and R guys. And next time I write a record, I should have you come and listen to because you guys love the singles. We do, love and them. I love, I, I like the intro with no lyrics, you know, um, and the uh, the ten minute songs. Well, we'll we'll surprise you coming up. I think we'll surprise you. All right. Um, okay. Next, next is Idiots Rule. Good jam. Yeah. All right. So, um, good lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Analyze the lyrics, Jeff. I'm pulling them up. You know, I know the whole thing of the thing. I'm trying to, it is one of my favorite records, but I got, I don't want to be, I don't want to disappoint Wayne with having wrong. <laughs> There's no wrong. <laughs> wrong lyrics. That's, that's not, yeah. There's no wrong. There's no wrong interpretation. Well, I mean, it's true. Don't idiots rule. They really do. You know? Yeah. This I think it it it's very similar to the previous song and or the first verse of the previous song, that sheep mentality, everybody's doing what whatever they're told. Yeah, and you know one of the things that that stuck with me when we did that interview with Penny Penny Rimbaud from from Crass Wayne was he talked about how the best leaders that are out there or the best the the best people to be politicians are not going to be politicians. Like it's, yeah. it's the people who want to, you know, be self aggrandizing and the well, ones who, that? I can't remember the movie, but somebody said, why would somebody spend $10 million to get a $125,000 a year job? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and my thing is, is like anybody that wants to be president is not qualified. Right. Yeah. That, and so I kind of feel like the same way about cops. You know what I mean? Police officers. If you want to be a police officer, you're probably not qualified. It's like, you know, you there's wanting to be a hero isn't what it is. It's if you wanted to be a nurse, they should probably make you be a police officer. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And uh, so I think that, what well, you know, we do have Idiot's Rule and Pigs and Zen and, you know, Ted, just a minute. There's a lot of social commentary in there. He's definitely and he's definitely got some anti-authority 
vibes going on that he's dropping down for the people, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. For sure. Well, it's funny is the last verse, I remember hearing it when I was 19 and not thinking much about it. But at 52, mm-hmm. when you hear, you know, that man you hate, you look more like him every day. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Yeah. I, at 52, it, I, it almost punched me in the face. But at 19, it went right past me. Yeah, unfortunately, we probably look more and more like our dads at 51, Get 52 off my lawn. years old. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But the funny thing about that, though, is I think, that, you know, that's, that's our opportunity to, to do better. You know, I think and it's like an invitation to that, that kind of, you know, thoughts about that. It's like, uh, do you know, be careful. Well, what's the, I don't know who the guy I think is. Some smart guy said, be careful when you're fighting monsters, lest you become one. You know, and so uh, I think that's part of the there's some wisdom in these songs and stuff. But, you know, and he was kind of an older guy when this record came out. I think he was already like 29. Okay. You know, the other guys in his bands were young. So he had that's why I think some of the lyrics are a little bit smarter than your average rock band. You know? Yeah. All right. Scores on this one. Jeff, what do you got? Five. All right. Wayne. And I gave it a five, too. And uh, the horns in this, I believe. the guy from Fishbone and Flea are two of the horn guys. And I like the way that Dave Navarro is playing this really rocking guitar, which contrasts against those funky horns. Yeah. It was the yeah. horns that dropped this lower for me. This is my three. Ah. Well, and he drops the F-bomb in there. That says, does not age well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. In today's society, you know, that does not age well. Yeah. All right. Jane Says is next. And this was, of course, uh, where they get the name of the band is Jane's Addiction. So this is based off of Jane, is it Bainter? Is that yeah. how you say her last name? That's what it looks like. Some Somebody that he lived with for a short time and like a, was it kind of like a communal type of uh, house? Sounds like it. Yeah. Um, I personally could go the rest of my life with never hearing this song again. <laughs> Although, is it just overplayed or or just heard it? Just heard it too many times. I think it's a good song, and I think what makes it great is his his melody really just keeps soaring and moving around. And I think that's similar to like a Robert Smith and The Cure kind of does that too. And you know, uh, like you said, some of the, there's a really musical quality that it never settles on a same. You know, except for the Jane says, and it just goes and goes and doesn't necessarily rhyme all the time and i just think that that's pretty great but of course it just was so overplayed that um i could live the rest of my life without ever hearing it again yeah i'm good i'm good with a little overplay he likes it that's that's on a, i need yeah. some of your your guys's uh all right you guys make a good team you got wayne over here so he's got the lyrics you got you over there you like you're like get to the chorus you guys make a good you got all the bases covered 
Well, you know, we we got the highest compliment on the last episode that we that we did. We we talked about Paul Simon's Graceland, and after we were done, the uh, the musician was like, "Dude, um, the the next time I've got some songs that I that I, I want somebody <laughs> to to listen to and analyze, I'm sending them over to you guys." So yeah, I'm kind of seeing what the sense in that. That was that was a huge compliment to us, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, this is my eleven. This is this is my top song. He loves it. I I I still dig it. Uh, I mean, I was vibing with it uh, just this morning when I was listening to this to finalize my score, and I'm like, "Am I really gonna give this my eleven? I mean, yeah, it's been overplayed, but yeah, it's my eleven. So Wayne, and I, and it was overplayed because it's a great song. I think it is the best. It's the it's a well-written song. And I like how the, the two acoustic guitars never change. They do the same thing over and over again. And everything around them, from, you know, from Perry Farrell's uh, vocals to the drummer, they'll all jump around. But those two, elect, those two acoustic guitars stay the same. And this whole, it's just a great story. I mean, it's just, and, and it's human. I mean, you, she's, she's, you know, done with Sergio, which always felt like a pimp to me. And mm-hmm. then... But tell if he comes around, let him know, you know, I'll be back or I'll and I'll be I'll see him yeah. tomorrow. And then and of course the kick, um, I'm gonna kick tomorrow, definitely a drug reference. Uh, you know, she's gonna get off of this. And then that the bridge is so, you know, where she it's almost like a breakdown, like she's all by herself. You can just see her all by herself, realizing that, you know, this isn't this isn't working. And then that then that last verse where she's uh, basically goes to uh, a church to get uh, something to eat, you know, some sort of some sort of homeless outreach. Right. Feed what? I didn't see that part. What? what okay. Tell me about this. Yeah. Yeah. Saint Andrews. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Saint Andrews. Yeah. I thought Saint Andrews was. I thought Saint Andrews was a street, and she was going to go do a trick. No, I think it's a church. She's going to get something church. to eat. She walks up on Saint Andrews. She waits to get her dinner there. She pulls her dinner from her pocket. Huh. Okay, well, maybe that, maybe, you know what? This is the beauty of these songs is they can be interpreted. I always thought she was going to, it was a street. I think it's a great song, and I think the lyrics are amazing, and the melody is amazing. I just think it only shows a small fraction of what Jane's Addiction is capable of. You know? Yeah. I mean, it it also shows if the other songs were the barometer, it does give them depth. And it shows that they are capable of more. But I do think as if you heard this song, like we discussed earlier, it just gives you, you know, like a, you know, peephole version of what Jane's Addiction as a band can do, you know? Yeah. yeah. All right. But Jeff, it's, it's a great song. Jeff, what, Four. Was your, what was your score? All right. Four. Wayne, your score. Eleven. I really don't like it when Wayne and I agree on top songs yeah it doesn't, doesn't make for good uh, I, I i i'm learning a lot from you fellas you guys are not afraid of hits you guys like hits no, no we're good with it all right next song is thank you boys And do do we really do we really call it a song? Do we? I don't, I don't even think it's a song. Yeah, yeah it feels and like I thought the that perfect this... moment for a hidden track. I feel like the exact perfect yeah. spot for this is some 
pigs from pigs and Zen ends, and then there's some dead air, and then this starts up hidden track not referenced on the uh, track listing, and then you know because what better way to end it than saying thank you? Yeah, I have I so I thought this re- was a reference to the Detroit Tigers, Wayne. Do you remember the phrase from the 1984 team? But it was "bless you, boys," not "thank you, boys." So I, I, that was what Sparky Anderson called his team was the "bless you, boys." Anyway, hmm. I did, I did not recall that. Yeah, yeah. It does nothing for me, except for it kind of shows that they could do it if they wanted to, if if they wanted to be jazzy. I thought it was cool. Yeah, right. I got a one. That's a one on there. Yeah, this is a one for me as well. Uh, same here. Okay. All right, and let's wrap this up with Pigs and Zen. Leave a message, I'll call you back. Leave it by the bed. Some people should die. That's just unconscious knowledge. Because, because the bigger you get, the wider you spread. You gotta depend on me. Now, your vision is dead. The more you dream is dead. Vision. They get sucked from my eyes. And that's not to be confused with the Muppets get uh, Pigs in Space. Well, you know, Pigs in Zen and Jane Says are both on that first record. Correct. The live record. Yep. So, although I think Pigs and Zen is is cool, but that I mean I think it's a good song, and everybody of course you know likes the pa 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 pa, but that da na da na is like that isn't that a ZZ Top song? It, it feels, is. It feels like it, yeah. you know. There's like it's just to me a little derivative. You know, I mean I think it's a sh- there's some shredding guitar solos on there, and it's cool. I love the song, and it was kind of like their flagship off that first record. It was the one that kind of made everybody really you know, stood out on that record. So um, I think it is, it's a cool song, but uh, to me, I get a three on Pigs and Zan. I like the sentiment of what they're saying. It's a good enough riff, but a little derivative. It doesn't, they're not really uh, breaking down boundaries with this song. So who is the pig that he's referencing? It's, I, to me, it's man. Um, cause, cause the okay. thing is Pigs and Zen immediately. And then when it, especially with the way it starts uh, with that, that bassiness, it gives me, it, Makes me think of uh, War Pigs by Black Sabbath for a second, yeah, and then of course yeah. uh, Pigs and Pigs in general. Then I'm thinking Animal Farm by George Orwell, which is much more is a is a is, is more much more talking about communism. Um, but then he but when he re- then he goes really Book of Genesis, and he's talking about uh, the pigs are naked and they're in mud and they don't care. And then someone says you're you're fucking naked. You're you know you should be ashamed of yourself. And then all of a sudden they are. But I like so he he ties it to society and all of these things and then but at the end of it to keep it from getting too heavy he goes I'm just talking about pigs I'm just talking about pigs mm-hmm. like and then he does it yeah. again and he does he ends it every time it's like he makes these statements uh, uh, these this commentary on society and then he goes ah, I'm just a rock star I'm just talking about pigs I don't know why you're getting all upset well I kind of like the little spoken word Jim Morrison kind of rant in the middle you know. Uh, he, you know, all this love and suffering. I just want to fuck that kind of, you know what I mean? He's kind of got a cool thing in there. And, uh, you know, it also, you had the pigs, war pigs. You got pigs from, 
Pink Floyd, you know, then later on after following him, Trent Reznor with the Nine Inch Nails had a lot of pig references. I think that there's a, a you know, pigs have played a big role in this uh, rock and roll and classic rock thing, you know? Yeah. And um, I'm surprised by my score. I gave this my eight. Again, I don't like the fact that I'm, um, I'm matching you, Wayne. Yeah, no, I don't like it either. I was all right with it. And now, <laughs> stop it. Pointed it out. And... Three. Got a three for me. Three. All right. Um, so th- this is the point where I ask: Did we cover everything? Did I miss anything? Did we miss anything? No. I mean, just just amazing record. We could probably should just go right into ritual now. You know what I mean? That's yeah. what we should do. Yeah, I'd be okay with that. My my favorite Jane song is on that. Uh, that little trio they got with the then she did and three days and all that man three days is my favorite jane song yeah what a song so good good. that's not a single that's not a single ben i know it's 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 not been caught stealing it's not been caught stealing or stop it's it's not it's not either one of those. It's three days. Yeah. I love that song. And you can they borrow from Ben Cott Steelin a couple times. A, there's a couple songs on here that have that. Definitely not so much in the guitar, but definitely in the percussion. Yeah, that Ben Cott yeah. Steelin feel. All right. Um, any guesses on what our top song was? Um, it's going to be Ocean Size. Uh, that is our third. Top song is Mountain Song with an average score of nine. And we've got um, average score of of 8.66 for Jane Says because <laughs> Wayne and I and like the three. singles, Jeff. Sorry, we like the singles. Well, I guess that makes us a, uh, you know, some things can go by committee. You know, he can. S- that's right. So Ocean Size, that's an average score of 8.33. And then rounding out our top five was Summertime Rolls, that had an average score of 6.33. And then Standing in the Shower Thinking, average score of 6. That's our top five. So they need a new track order, new track listing. That's right. That's right. That's a solid five, though. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Jeff, this has been fun. Yeah, this was great. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Well, and I uh, have to come out and see us at a show here again, Wayne, and then oh, say hello. Absolutely. I, uh, I'll i bring my, my buddy. He's a huge fan also. I'll bring him up, and we'll we'll say hi. Buy a T-shirt. Yeah, I'd like to see that you're uh, doing the lyrics there. That's a big part of all of this is to me. Sometimes I spend more time on the, mu- the lyrics and the music for sure. Yeah. You know, that's kind of keeps me into it. Cool. Awesome, guys. So, Jeff, tell tell people where uh, they can find all the happenings of Walking Papers and you. You know, we got a new website. It's probably being launched. To, I don't even know the address. <laughs> but they can search it. It actually comes out. I think it opens up tomorrow. And uh, if you buy your records there, we get an extra six bucks. So, uh, each one. So, I really don't even know what the, the band Thing better, is, I don't know. better than the two cents that Wayne and I gave you for listening to your album a couple times on Spotify. Is that what you're saying? Um, I'm just saying it's just kind of funny. We actually were selling the records on our own. And we decided we would start selling as many as we could because people can't buy them at the stores, and it got a little ridiculous. We kind of oh, it was awesome that we got overwhelmed, yeah, and then it was scary when like messages where's my record oh my god you know this one showed up broke send us another one and we were like what have we done but now we got a hired a company to take over on it but it is uh 
I do like to support your local record store and everything too, but it's also nice to get a little scratch off of making your art here. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll make sure that we share the the link to your new website in in the the episode notes. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, last question. We lift this from a fellow podcaster here in Orlando who does the Scotch and Good Conversation podcast. He asks all of his guests. So, who do you know that I don't know? Who would who should join us on this podcast to revisit one of their favorite records? Who do I know that you don't know? Yes. And they don't necessarily need to be like, um, you know, Duff McKagan or anything like that. Duff McKagan. No. <laughs> but you know, well, you guys know him. You guys, kn- you guys know him. You know him. We know of. I thought you meant like, oh, who do I know that you don't know? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That's a that's a hard one to to say. Um, you know who's a really sweet fellow is uh, Miles Kennedy, but I'm not sure who is. But we did some tours with him. Um, who was a uh, I kind of be interested in like people that aren't musicians. What are their favorite records? You know, if you're into the sports or stuff over there, that would be an interesting. We've talked. We have done some sports. We had Alexi Lawless on an episode, and um, if you're a baseball dude, uh, we had Dill Murphy and on an episode uh, as well. Bronson Arroyo. Arroyo. Oh yeah, and Bronson Arroyo uh, as well. So. Yeah, I think that's cool. I like that. Yeah. All right. Well. Um, Let's let's uh, let's finish this out. So as a reminder, you can find all of our old episodes by going to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com. We're on the socials. I'm at Podcast Records on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for Records Revisited Podcast. And on Instagram, Wayne handles that. Records Revisited Podcast. That's pretty easy. Uh, you can also find us on Patreon, uh, just patreon.com slash records revisit podcast. And of course, on all the major platforms, uh, be, be sure to subscribe, rate, or review us. Okay. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. I would tell you to go to live show, but you kind of know the drill on that. So um, make sure that you support your favorites on any of the live stream events. Um, go buy a t-shirt of the band buy a record from the band um, provided that you actually know what their website address is. <laughs> I'm just giving you crap. For it's walking papers dot something. All right. <laughs> and so, so we are records revisited and we are out. 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 <laughs>